Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderbilt, your host today. So good evening, everybody, and welcome to another VPC Live brought to you by the Victorian Parents Council. My name is Jackie Vanderveld, and I'm very happy to be hosting this session with the fabulous Deanna Dow, who is going to be speaking to us about exam day tips before, during and after. So Deanna, now we've got you as an international guest again tonight, I believe. Yes, yes. Hello. <laughs> pleasure to be here coming in from Abu Dhabi today. Oh, wonderful. Well, welcome. And I'm going to hand over everything to you. So away you go. Amazing. Thank you, Jackie. And good evening to most of the people watching today. It is my favourite time of the year. Exam time is very close for our VCE students. So um, each year it is at about this time when celebration day and valedictory and graduation come around that the students start to realise how close these exams really are. So um, the intention for today is hopefully to provide some tips for how we can navigate that exam period in terms of the night before, the morning of, during the actual exam and the hours after the exam, because managing that emotional, motivational journey throughout the exams is just as important as the getting the results in the academic side. So today we're going to share some tips that we've found to be the most effective with the students that we work with, as well as some tips for parents as well throughout. So something as a student that you can take on board as a parent that you can share with your children. Um, and as teachers, you can also share that as part of your revision talk. So in terms of exam day and what students typically feel or think heading into exams, there's typically three areas that we find are particularly stressful or that cause anxiety for students heading into exams. One of them being the time conditions. So the time management around uh, having to sit in an exam for two and a half hours or three hours in the, in the case is the case for English. So how do I manage my time? How do I manage my time studying leading up to? How do I manage my time while I'm sitting in the exam? How do I get all the questions done? Timing is a huge concern for a lot of students because they don't typically involve timing in their revision process. So if you've watched some of our previous workshops or, or want to go and watch those on the VPC um, website as well, it we focus on getting students to practice timed conditions as part of their study, but it's inevitable that they will still feel stressed about the exam time limits on the day. The next thing is, is seeking perfection. A lot of the students that we work with are worried that they're missing one mark on this question or getting 98% instead of 100 or 57 instead of 60 and really trying to seek perfection in their eyes, whatever that looks like. And this can be a grounds for a lot, of, um, a lot of nervousness heading into exams because you might be great at 80% of the content, but the 20% that you struggle with is really what you're thinking about and what's getting you nervous. So helping students see that seeking perfection is not only not conducive and not realistic, but it's hurting them more than it is helping them. And finally, just a general sort of stressing out about 
performance, about the, the energy around exams, about the fact that, you know, this is the end of their schooling, this is the key to their university. These three areas are what we find are the biggest drivers for um, concern around exam time. So today the aim is to look at some strategies for each of them that students can implement to minimize the impact of the time stresses or the unrealistic search for perfection or the stressing out. So starting with the basics of, of time, because it is one that is quite easy to amend and to, and to fix with the right strategies. We wanna look at how to manage your time during an exam. So you're sitting in the exam, you're sitting at your desk, you're doing the questions and you're three questions in and realize you've used up half the time. That's one of the most common scenarios experienced with students when they first attempt their practice exams or even in some cases their actual exams. They will finish the exam or finish the time and not have gotten to the last few pages or they'll spend so much time on a question that they got stuck on that they don't get a chance to finish the rest of the paper. So all of these things contribute to the stress on the day. So what we wanna do is give them a strategy on how they can navigate and avoid those really common mistakes. So for time management during exams, we like to think of a, of a few steps that they can do in real time while they're studying, uh, while they're sitting their exam to help them navigate the time. But like any skill, they can't expect to get it perfect the first time. So it's actually really important we encourage them to implement these strategies while they're doing their practice exams and any practice test. Because the number one uh, problem that students face is that they have not practiced for all of the conditions and all of the types of questions and all of the types of strategies they need to use on exam day. And they're hoping to pull out a miracle. Some of the skills we need to teach them to practice beforehand is actually understanding how long each question should take. Now, most students have a general understanding of, of how long they need to spend on each question, but they never implement it when they're trying to study or revise. That is, most students know that for a multiple choice question, it should only take you a minute to a minute and a half, or for a four to six mark question, or that's worth four to six lines, uh, four to six lines of writing should only take you four to seven minutes of time. They know this, but they never actually actively implement it. So understanding how long each question should take you is the first step but implementing that when you're doing your practice questions. So if you, if you have 10 multiple choice questions, give yourself, give yourself a maximum time limit of 15 minutes. If you have five one to three mark or short answer questions, then you should really be giving yourself 10 to 15 minutes max. So implementing these time limits in the study process is a really important part. But knowing how long they should take you as a starting point is your first step. So here's a general guideline for uh, exam style questions. It will vary slightly from subject to subject um, and some subjects, their short answer or extended responses look a little bit different, but this is a general guideline that we find typically works well. 
if there is any uncertainty or you forget what this guideline looks like, the general rule is one mark for each minute. So if the, um, if the question is worth three marks, then you wanna be looking at three minutes roughly to complete. If the question is worth 10 marks then you wanna be looking at 10 minutes roughly, give or take a couple of minutes. So ideally you want to have some kind of timing guideline in your mind when you are heading into the exam. So knowing how long each question should take is particularly important. And practicing it, so on the day, you're actually only spending that much time answering those questions. The next step, once you know that, is to use your reading time to prioritise what questions you will answer first. Students have uh, a tendency to answer questions in chronological order, so question one through to question 20 or to start with the longer questions that might take a bit longer first and then do the shorter questions. And there's all different sorts of rationale that students will use to prioritize their questions. But we do have a recommendation, which we'll get to in the next couple of stages. But the most important thing is that reading time should be used to read all the questions and decide on the order not to read all the questions and then panic about which ones you're not going to be able to answer and then think about how hard the exam is or whatever it might be. You're using the reading time to read all the questions and decide where should I start. And when deciding where you should start, it's always the easiest questions. The logic here is that as much as we're going to tell students that it is about doing your best and about you know, putting your best foot forward. All of those things we know are 100% true. You have to think about how the student is going to judge their performance after the fact. They're gonna judge on how many questions they couldn't answer, how many questions they got stuck on, and ultimately when their results come out a little bit later on their results. So what we wanna do is give them the best opportunity to feel confident, competent, and get the best result that they possibly can. And by starting with the questions that they find easiest, which they have identified and prioritized in reading time, they are now building their momentum and their confidence because they're answering four or five questions in a row that they know how to answer and that are easy. But also, if something does happen on the tail end of the exam, they get stressed, they get mental blanks, they, they lock up, they spend too long on a question, at least we know that they've put away the marks and the questions that they could confidently answer. So the idea of starting with the easiest questions first is to build the student's confidence and competence because as the more that they do, the more that their brain will unlock the pathways for that content, the more uh, cues will be triggered and the more they'll be able to answer the difficult questions because they've built that momentum and the knowledge is flowing, as well as obviously their confidence in their abilities, while all, all whilst maximizing their results. So 
the students need to practice this skill. They need to practice being able to identify which question can I easily answer? Which question would I be able to write a response for straight away if I started there? So that's the next step in managing their time during the exams. Once they've actually gotten through their first set of easy questions, what they should learn to do is actually just take a breath and close the paper. Because what can happen, and even as adults will experience this as well, when you're reading something over and over and over again, you stop actually seeing what it is or understanding what it is. It becomes a blur of words with what you thought the first time you read it and the second time and the third time all mixed in one and it becomes tricky to actually decipher what we're looking at. So encouraging the students to then just close the paper, take a breath and then open the paper up again and complete the same process. Look at the next set of easiest questions. So after they've done the first lot of easy questions, they may have skipped the second question, the fifth question and the 10th question, but they might now decide that of those three, the fifth one is the easiest. So that's where I'm gonna start again. And repeating this process until all of the easy questions are done and all that's left are those harder questions. The hard question that the student will either not be able to answer because they weren't able to cover it or they don't understand it or they forgot. But at this point, even if that one is question three in the exam, which is early on, they have answered the whole rest of the paper. They have locked away all the marks that they know they can get. And if they get this question done, fantastic. But if not, it's not going to be the reason that they didn't complete the rest of the paper. So this is all a little bit of a story about you know, not uh, doing things in order and getting stuck and making sure that you're putting your best foot forward. But really, it's a set of steps for them to follow. Start using reading time to pick out the first set of questions you will complete based on how easy they are or how easy they come to you, not based on the style of question, the type of question or the order of the question. Start with the easiest set. Then actually give yourself a chance to reset, open it again and do the next set of easiest and the next set of easiest. And actually you'll find with students focusing on this process, it distracts them from the, the feeling of a big daunting exam. This process is aimed to minimize stress because they're always focusing on their next easiest question. It's aimed to maximize their results because at any point in time, if they run out of time, they've at least up until that point locked in everything that they could have or they were confident with. And it means that they're reducing their chances of not finishing. So in terms of time management during the exams, most students just think I need to write faster, but it's less about writing faster and more about active decisions that you're making to make sure you finish on time. So sharing this set of steps, in general, remembering not to answer in chronological order, using reading time to prioritize, and at any point in time, do the easiest question of the questions that are left. So we've found that this alone as a strategy has helped students not only finish exams that they had never finished before, but in some cases increase their marks by 8 to 12% just with this strategy, because 
they're focusing on getting done what they can and not being stuck on what they can't. So this is our strategy for managing time during exams. But obviously time management is not the only thing that could go wrong. There is also the idea of wanting everything to be perfect, which is something students struggle with because we know that it's not realistic for students to, or lots of students to get 100% on the exams. It's not realistic for them to get every single mark that is put in front of them. But for some reason, that's what students are always striving for. They're striving for the perfect. And when it's not perfect, it's stressing them out. So our focus is always on striving on doing a little, striving to do a little bit better this time than you did last time, striving to get 5% more than you did on the last practice or 6% more than you did last week and really focusing on small improvements. But combating perfectionism can be a really big concern for a lot of students. So wanting everything to be perfect, there is only really some logic that we can hope the students can accept, but it's not always easy, by first telling them that there is no such thing as the perfect answer. With the exception of maths, where one plus one equals two, most other subjects do not have a perfect answer. For most of the humanities subjects, there is not only one way that you can write a definition or an explanation or, or analyze the question. We know certainly in English that there is no perfect set of words to put together an essay for a text response or a comparative. There is no such thing as a perfect answer and trying to actually explain to the students that they're chasing something that doesn't exist. I mean, we can't really blame them as adults. There's probably a lot of us chasing perfection in areas where it doesn't exist as well, but just helping them really see that and articulate the fact that there is no perfect response. And if you're ever not sure how to show them that, you could always give them an example of, of a situation where there's two perfectly valid and perfectly good responses to the same question or the same prompt, which will show them that they're not striving for something to be word for word perfect. They're striving for a good enough understanding that they can put something together in an articulate way that the examiners will understand. So helping to convince them that there is no such thing as a perfect answer is probably the first step. Telling them that the examiners don't give you extra marks for pretty writing. Now, not to be confused with legibility, the examiners do note whether your writing is legible or not, particularly in English, the feedback pretty much every year, particularly in the last 10 years when Laptops have become more common and students are doing less handwriting. A lot of the feedback is that students' handwriting is not, they can't read it and it's not um, possible for them to give them marks in certain areas because they can't actually read what the student has written. So aside from that, there is the other extreme side of exams and students where students will try to make everything so perfect looking whether it's in how they write their notes or how they write their responses on the day or writing slowly to make sure it's all perfect or or crossing making extra effort to cross out and black out what they did wrong so that it's not visible all of these little things that they do to make sure it looks perfect when the examiners do not care, nor do they do give any extra credit or marks to pretty handwriting or perfect A's, right? It's, 
it's important that they find the balance. And I think students um, spend a lot of time on the aesthetic side of their note-taking um, and making it all perfect looking for them to feel more accomplished but then practicing that habit of writing slowly and writing perfectly actually hurts them in the exam. So encouraging them to focus on the balance between speed and accuracy rather than aesthetics is particularly important. And finally, forcing them to stick to time limits kind of puts a pin in perfectionism because as I mentioned before, the balance between speed and accuracy can only be um, walked so much before you fall to one side or the other so in terms of getting them to stick to time limits at some point they'll realize they do have to sacrifice their perfect response or overthinking or over analyzing because they will experience paralysis by analysis and just stop and not be able to answer the question whereas if they're actually practicing answering a response within three minutes or within five minutes or within six minutes, naturally they will have to write faster. They will have to make sacrifices in their, in their handwriting. They'll have to make sacrifices in their idea of a perfect response to get something down on the paper. And the more they realize that just getting something down that is articulate will get them the marks that they need, the more they can detach from this idea of the perfect response. So encouraging sticking to strict time limits uh, while doing practices will help nip that perfectionism in the butt a little bit. So hopefully um, the combination of understanding that there is no such thing as perfect and using time to help them um, realize that even without the prettiness and the perfect response, they can still get the results is how we can combat that. But more importantly, perfectionism on the day can actually lead to not finishing the exam because students are so focused on getting every single mark in every single question that they end up not finishing. So telling them that answering 100% of the questions and getting 80% right will always be better than only answering 70% of the questions and getting 100% right. Answering more at an 80 to 90% accuracy rate is always going to be better for them than answering less at what they think or hope will be 100% accuracy. Because it is very, very rare for students to consistently get 100% on every question. It is very common that students, even top performing and high performing students will get three out of four or four out of five or six out of eight on those extended responses. So encouraging them to get more, more answers done at a high standard of 80 to 90% accuracy rather than less at 100%. And hopefully explaining this logically and combined with getting them to put it in practice with timed questions will help them combat this sense of perfectionism, which we all know doesn't exist. So at this point, students will be using perfectionism for one of two things, to either doubt themselves or to procrastinate. They'll use it to doubt themselves in saying, yeah, but I can't get this specific detail or I don't remember this specific bit of content. So helping them see the bigger picture that if they know 80 to 90% of every topic 
it's always going to be better for them than or that focus or where they are is much better than um, focusing on the 5% that they don't know in one topic. Focus on the bigger picture. And the other thing they might be doing is using perfectionism to procrastinate. And that is saying, well, I don't know all of these topics, so I can't do a practice exam yet. And for a lot of students where exams are you know, starting in less than two weeks, not having done a practice exam yet will be their undoing because they're going to experience those exam conditions for the first time next Wednesday or Wednesday in two weeks' time when they're sitting that English exam when they should be ripping the Band-Aid off now, um, but for whatever reason, their perfectionism is stopping them. So if you're dealing with a student who wants everything to be perfect, try this one and tell them that you don't know what needs to be improved unless you see an imperfect result first. So get them to do a practice test or practice exam to give them an indication of what they need to perfect. It's a difficult one because it's an inherent like internal feeling of, of competence and, and where you're at, but hopefully combating it with a bit of logic will help the students progress past the need for, for perfectionism. And finally, there is the general exam stress. Now, this part's a little bit longer because we want to break down some different strategies for before, some different strategies for during, and different strategies for after. But there is an air of stress around these final exams. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can do it. Oh, my God, I should have just dropped out. I should have done unscored. I'm going to fail. All of this energy of stress around it, even if it's not coming from your student or the one student in particular, it's coming from those around them. And this is the, you know, final set of exams that I have to do for school and if I don't do these I can't get into my course and it's just it's a very stressful time so managing all of that comes in a few different components it's you know the preparation in the lead up to it sure but it's also managing the physiology uh, the you know have you slept have you drank water are you are you hydrated have you eaten it's managing the mental state and the mindset and then obviously it's the practical side of you know doing the questions in order and all of those things. So there are a lot of things for us to expect students to manage coming into this exam period. And there are a lot of skills that they don't have yet to manage these things. So hopefully this section is gonna break down a little bit more some, some skills and some strategies for both parents and students to use in the lead up to exams. And, Parents as well, you might actually know that some of these strategies are helpful for heading into meetings, heading into important confrontations, heading to, into important situations where your stress levels might be high as well. So in terms of managing stress on exam day, what that could look like is catastrophizing. What we're trying to counter or what we're trying to stop from happening is catastrophizing. I'm going to fail and it's all over and I didn't study enough and it's all going to fall apart. Feeling nervous about their own abilities or capabilities or doubting yourself. Regardless of the preparation they've put in, they might find themselves saying, I don't think I'm ready or I don't know if I'm ready. So the strategies are going to be helping deal with these three forms of stress on the day. Now, it's important to note that there are many other reasons or causes for stress that 
that I might not be able to cover in detail. And then there are some condition specific causes and, and other cases where students might be feeling stress in a way that can't be mitigated simply with these strategies. But these will work for majority of cases when the stress is simply mindset, nerves or physiologically related. So how can we avoid catastrophizing feelings of nervousness and doubt? Well, before an exam, there are really a, a few simple things that you can try to avoid because there will be a case of doomsday feelings like the exam is here. Have I done enough? Am I ready? Can I do this? So there'll be a lot of feelings and there are some really simple things you can do as students and encourage them to do as parents to help get through this time. And the first thing is the basics. It is baffling how many students forget the basics before an exam. So I touch base with all of my clients and students after exams and the number of them that say, I forgot to go to the bathroom. So 10 minutes in, I felt like I needed to go to the bathroom or I forgot my water bottle or I drank too much or not enough or I was feeling really hungry halfway through the exam. We cannot fight these evolutionary needs, regardless of how focused we are and how smart we are and how much we want to finish that exam. The evolutionary needs are always going to trump them. Our physiological needs will always be more important. So some things to do is to eat a hearty meal. Hearty meal means something filling and full of good you know, nutrients, complex carbohydrates to fill you up properly, but leaving enough time, so that's one hour, before the exam. There's a really delicate balance here because if you eat too close to the exam, then your body's priority is going to be to digest the food and all the blood is going to go to your intestines rather than your brain. So we want to make sure we don't eat too close to the exam, but we want to make sure that we eat close enough that there is enough glucose and oxygen and, and all the other good stuff floating around our brain to keep it active, as well as we are satiated in our bellies. So whenever you have something big coming up, whether it's an exam or a meeting or anything like that, try to eat one hour before for satiation purposes and also for focus. So your brain is full of all the good nutrients it needs to focus. I use the bathroom example. I wish I didn't have to put it on here, but again, if I could tell you how many times students have said, I just needed to go to the bathroom 10 minutes in and students can't go to the bathroom in the first half an hour of their exam. Um, they do get a bathroom break, but not in the first 30 minutes. So what happens is they're spending the first 30 minutes trying to keep their legs together and then avoid going to the bathroom instead of focusing on their work. Um, so encouraging them to do the basics, have a routine where they go to the bathroom, drink water before they get in. So they walk in hydrated and eat. And that's something as parents that you can support them with, particularly with the meals, making sure that they're eating and getting a good breakfast in or a good lunch in before their exam without overdoing it. Don't forget the basics because the basics are what your body will prioritize when it's in the exam. So don't let it feel hungry, thirsty, or needing to go to the bathroom. Part of that Part of that routine is to make a unique routine or ritual that will get you into the right 
headspace. Um, I am a bit of a, uh, I give myself a bit of a pep up kind of motivational talk. If you think about the, you know, American style motivational speaker, like you are awesome, you can do this, you're the best. That's my, that's my ritual, my self-affirmation before I come on to do a presentation like this or before I sit a test or an exam, because that is a habit that I've made that gets me into the right headspace. Now, not all students are going to have that sort of ritual, but having something is important, whether it's a walk in the morning of an exam or whether it's a dance around the house or a sing in the car or whether it's, you know, something specific that they do, a conversation that they have, someone that they call, having some kind of routine or ritual that they know puts them in a positive headspace is really good. You'll notice I added walk and dance in there because even though it's about your headspace, getting your blood flowing around your body and your mind is part of that battle. So while these things don't have anything to do with the marks for your exam, they are getting the basics and your head right before you go in to minimize that stressful energy. It's a little bit hard to feel that knotted feeling in your stomach when you're dancing around the room. So introducing some kind of routine or ritual, whether it's a sing, a walk, a dance, a run, going to the gym, playing with the dog, playing with the cat, just something that helps get them in the right headspace. It's important that that is in place for each of their exams. And it's important that they're consistent with it, not just on exam day, but in the next two weeks leading up to it so they can practice being in that good headspace and reducing that stress. So routines and rituals. Breathing, one of the most underrated uh, stress management tools potentially in the world. And that is one of the things that they might start feeling as students heading into the exam is that closed feeling in their throat, as well as constriction of their chest um, and maybe a deep hitting feeling in their stomach because they're nervous about what's to come. They haven't been in this situation before. They've never been, they've never done exams with stakes this high before. Um, and they might be feeling like they're in a little bit of survival mode. Taking deep breaths to actually just calm down their whole nervous system before the exam is really, really important. Now we like box breaths because um, they're easy to remember and easy to teach. So um, I've written down there on the slide. So in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four. And the reason it's called a box breath is because people typically draw a box when they're doing it. So breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. So you get the students to trace the breath with their fingers and I say students but this is something we even use with our adult um, adult learners and mature age students as well anytime that you are feeling tightness in your nervous system and anxiousness you need to reset your body back to feeling safe so it's not in fight or flight mode so breathing and taking really deep breaths into your belly not just into your chest can help regulate your body if you're feeling that tightness and that stress. So box breaths are really easy to teach. They're easy to remember. 
There are many other variations, in for seven, hold for eight, out for six. There's many, many other variations, but the box breath is the simplest and easiest to teach to minimize that stress. So if you see your student stressing out or walking around yelling and I'm stressed and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not ready for this exam tomorrow, just get them to stand still, trace the box of their finger, breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four and hold for four and just let them really slow their whole nervous system down. And that's what's, that's gonna help with the physiological side of things. But it's not just your body and your physiology. There is also going to be the social aspect of the stress, right? There are going to be people, other people around you saying one of two things, either I feel awesome, I feel super prepared and I know everything, which to someone who isn't could feel a bit disheartening. Or there's going to be people saying, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. And that in itself is going to bring the energy levels down. So actually avoiding pre-exam chatter. Before exams happen, there is a big conglomeration of students at the front of the room and they're all talking about what they know, what they don't know, what they're worried about, what they're stressed about. So encourage the students to find their own space, maybe just 10 metres further back, sitting on their own or sitting with someone that they know is on the same level and in the same headspace as them and the words are going to be words of encouragement rather than stress. So avoiding that pre-exam chatter is really important because we know that other people's energy and words affects how we feel before heading into an exam. And finally, avoid intense study. Students need to trust themselves and back themselves enough that they have prepared and that no amount of intense study on the day of the exam is going to help. So Replacing this intense study with perhaps a conversation with a parent or a peer about some content or some light cue card work or reading is okay, but avoiding doing practice exams or doing practice questions because the last thing we want is for a student to realise there is something they don't know an hour before their exam. They do not have enough time to find the information, search it, remember it, understand it, and apply it, all while preparing physiologically for this exam in an hour. So we want to make sure that they're avoiding intense study and have planned their time to do passive study or group work instead of more practice exams and more questions on the day. And as a way of emphasizing the importance of their managing their stress because a lot of students won't understand how important these steps are just remind them that poor results don't cause stress but rather stress causes poor results if you are sitting in that exam and your body is in a highly strung stress state it is focusing on its survival and on its ability to you know drink and eat and run away from whatever it is that is worrying it rather than good blood flow to the brain, clear thinking and being able to process the information properly. Right? If you're stressed about someone that said something about something they don't know before you walk in, then that is going to cause you to doubt yourself, which is going to cause you to double check and triple check all your answers and maybe even change something that could have been correct just because of this seed of doubt that has been planted. So we want to make sure that they know 
that it's the stress that will lead them to these poor results rather than the other way around. So before the exam is the most crucial part because during you're limited in what you can do and after obviously the deed is already done, but making sure they are focusing on their the physiology and their mindset as well as not cognitively overloading themselves with intense study is so important before an exam. These, all, these are all things that we should be looking at in the 24 hours leading up to, but are also skills that need to be practiced by the students during their practice exams. But now let's talk about during the exam. The student is sitting, pen and paper in hand, and the clock is ticking. First of all, we've, we talked about this in the previous time management section, but using reading time wisely, that will set them up for the whole exam. If they go in and just read the questions or use reading times to stress out about what they know and what they don't know, or they don't have a plan, or they don't know how to use the reading time, that is the time where the spiral will begin. They will start to go, oh my God, what are these questions? I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know how to answer that. And the spiral will start. So having a clear plan for reading time, knowing that Reading time is purely there for the purpose of prioritizing questions. It's there for deciding what order I will do the questions in. Then it actually takes the edge off because they have a plan. It has a purpose. And if they follow through on that, they're working towards building their momentum and their confidence. So it's important to remind them that reading time is potentially the most crucial part of the exam because it sets the tone for the next two hours. Writing cues on each page. And again, this is something they need to practice while they're studying, but many students will say, I'm ready for this exam, but I keep forgetting to put my units and I just know I'm gonna forget on the day. I'm ready for this exam, but I keep forgetting to put enough quotes in my English essay. So these things that they're likely to forget, chances are they will forget it on the day, because it's a common mistake that they've been making and they're not doing anything to fix it. So one thing that we encourage students to do is to practice writing cues on the top of their exam page. So we've used the example of units and quotes, which is when you are working with a math subject or a science subject and you know that you keep forgetting the units of whatever the chemical is or formula is or whatever the, the answer is, practice while you're studying. Every time you turn a new page, write units on the top right-hand corner. Right? Write the word units and make that a habit. Make it a habit that every time you turn a new page, regardless of what topic you're studying at that time in maths or science, you write units in the top corner. So what's going to happen is during exams, you're going to continue that habit because it's something that you do now almost subconsciously. So in exam conditions, if you're turning the page and writing units on the top of the page before you're answering your questions, how likely or how much less likely are you to forget your units in that page? And the same goes for quotes. So this is something that you prepare before but you do during so that you can try and minimize those really common mistakes that you've been making during your study process. 
So writing cues on each page. Staying hydrated is really important. A perfect example is me now. I'm not hydrated, so I'm thinking about my throat being scratchy and it's making it hard to present. It's the same as students that are sitting their exams and they're letting themselves become dehydrated, whether it's their throat or their mouth being dry or whether it's their mind, because 30% dehydration can, the first side effect is a 70 to 80% drop in your ability to focus. So making sure they're hydrated and practicing drinking and hydrating themselves without overdoing it is an important skill for exam. So to keep sipping throughout. I've put deep belly breathing here again because it can become, it can get to the point during an exam where the students are stuck. They reach this point where they freeze. They freeze because they don't know what to do. They freeze because their head is foggy. They freeze because they've got a feeling in their belly that they can't shake and they don't know where to go next. So what they need at that point during their exam is to reset. They need to reset their body and their mind so they can focus. So that deep belly breathing is really helpful. I will tell you one thing, maybe get them to avoid using their fingers during the exam because I have had a student being accused of communicating to another student when she was doing her box breaths during, during a practice exam. But the concept of breathing in, holding it and breathing out, repeating that perhaps two or three times can help get them out of that position of being stuck. And finally, close the paper and take two minutes. Encourage them that, well, tell the students that rather than being stuck in a rut for 10 minutes and losing that time and not really being able to focus and just looking at this paper over and over again and not knowing what to do, just close the paper and take a breath. You've got time to take a two-minute break. They allow for some time to just stop and think. Make sure the break doesn't go on for too long, otherwise you might eat into your working time, but stop and take a two minute break if you find yourself getting into that stressful state. So managing your stress during the exam is just as important as managing it before. So breathing, hydrating, and closing the paper if need be. And finally, the exam is done now. But even though that exam is over, some students will still be stressing after the fact. How did I go? What did I get? Did I pass? All of these things are going to be floating around their mind. So when it comes to the exam being finished, again, avoiding that chatter. You don't want to hear people saying, oh, my God, that was so hard or that was so easy. Or did you get that question? Or what did you get for this question? Because then you might start thinking about what you did and what went wrong and spiraling, even though there is absolutely nothing you can do about it now. So you want to avoid that post-exam chatter, but you do want to have some self-reflection, particularly if it's you're one of your first exams or your second exam and you still have three to four to go. You want to say, what did go well and what do I need to do better on the next exam? It's a way to productively channel those feelings instead of just thinking oh my god I could have done this and I didn't do that and I don't know why I did that channeling it into a productive reflection a pen a paper and writing down this is what went really well I think I did really well on the multiple choice questions 
I need to do better with prioritizing my questions because I got stuck on a hard question too early and I will achieve this by practicing using my reading time better. So getting them to do a self-reflection is really important. Remembering that what's done is done and helping them acknowledge that no amount of stressing is going to change their results. It is impossible and it is a, uh, a non-fulfilling journey to worry about things that you cannot control or worry about things that you cannot change. This is a lesson that they'll need to learn early. And I know, again, some adults can't even process this, but um, helping them to see that no amount of stress is going to change the results. So it's not a productive use of their time. Telling them to take a break and not rush straight into their next exam study. Some students have written plans to finish one exam, wait 10 minutes and then start studying for their next exam, even though it's not till the next afternoon. Tell them to take a break, a few hours to unwind. Their brain has been in a tense and stressful situation for the last two hours and you need to give it a chance to reset. The brain can physically have a very high high vibration level and start even swelling a bit if you work it too, too hard and it'll get too foggy. So you need to give it a break for a few hours before you start again. And finally, treat yourself. So encourage the students to go for a meal, go get their favorite lunch, go shopping, hang out with their friends, watch a movie after the exam in that few hours to kind of increase their dopamine, serotonin levels and their fun to counteract the stress and the sort of doomsday feelings that they had before and during the exam. Um, you could perhaps cook them what, they, what you know is their favorite meal. As a parent, you can encourage to take them out. You could you know, take them to the beach, whatever it needs to be that will help them wind down and tell them that they deserve it because they put in the work and they got it done. And then knowing that each of their exams is going to be followed by some kind of reward or rest or break or encouragement is going to help them get through the rest of their exam. So those are all tips for students, but there is also the parenting side of the exams. Parents are just as involved in this exam process and BCE as students. It changes the whole house. It turns it upside down. There's exam schedules and how they're going to get to and come from school. And they've turned 18 and managing social life and managing the rest of the students who, why do they don't have to go to school, but I have to go to school. And it's, and it's a really hard time for parents. And parents are also very tempted to know exactly what happened in the exams as soon as a student walks out. So our final bit of advice today, and it's for the parents rather than students, is avoid asking 20 questions. How did you go? Did you know everything? How do you think you went? What result do you think you got? Did all your study pay off? All of these questions, because the students are already going to be hard enough on themselves and having these reflective conversations with themselves. What if they didn't go well? What if they didn't know everything? What if they think they went very poorly? So all of these things are going to make them feel worse and more negative about it than actually helping them wind down so they can be in the best position for their next exam. So instead, try asking, how are you feeling? And is there anything I can do for you? Now, they may respond with, I'm fine, don't want to talk about it. Then you probably got your answer. But if you ask, How are you feeling? They're like, I feel great. That was awesome. That's good. And they want to continue the conversation. 
then fine, they've given you that kind of permission to open up and have that conversation. And then asking, is there anything I can do for you? That's when they're more likely to open up and say, look, I'm actually just really exhausted. Or yes, I want to celebrate because I did this. Or yes, I'm actually feeling this or feeling that. And this is what I need right now. Giving them that permission and opportunity to communicate with you like that is going to be a lot more productive and conducive to a positive environment than how did you go? Did you know everything? What what went well? How do you think you went? All of these questions. So as parents, remember, it's your job to kind of support them and motivate them and keep them in a positive state rather than contributing to whatever self-doubt and anxiousness they're already experiencing. So Hopefully, that's a lot of stress management strategies in an hour, but hopefully that gives you a a few things that you can try either as a student or as an adult yourself, or that you can share with students, teachers, parents that you know. So hopefully that covered a lot of the exam day blues. Jackie, that was just just amazing, Janet. Well, there were, but you've actually answered them all. So (laughs) <laughs> again again on on target and uh and certainly you know incredibly useful very practical as always so thank you so much uh it's uh always amazing to hear from you you've got um you've got great great wisdom and great great expertise Jana, and we're very blessed to have you on the team so um everyone thank join me in thanking uh Deanna and uh, if you are in the Melbourne area if you're not in the Melbourne area, you are very welcome to come along to the live event. Um, Deanna will be uh, in back back home in Australia, even though at the moment she's overseas, back home in Australia on Saturday the 19th of November. And I'm actually might I might actually share that screen so people can see see what it is. So we've got an in-person event. Um, you can book uh, via the VPC website and I'll pop that link into the chat. Um, or if one of my, one of our helpers can do that. So Jerry or Evelyn, if you're online, if you could do that, please. Um, so Saturday, November the 19th, uh, 10.45 to 2 p.m. I believe there's a it's the transition to VCE and remembering too that we've got a new VCE. So uh, there's some changes there. So it's a really useful workshop um, for year 10 students um, with the skills and strategies they're going to need um, with Deanna. So um, a good a good opportunity to see Deanna in person and to benefit from her awesome skills. So Deanna, we're looking forward to that one, which will be which will be great. Um, and uh, it's okay. So uh, we've got in the chat there. Please go to VPC website under the events. And I might, I think I've just, I think I've grabbed it. There we are. There it is in the chat. So you're very welcome to book there. So there will be, uh, for attendees, there will be a a short survey that will be emailed to you. Please, please, please fill that in because that helps us with feedback on the sorts of events that you might like to see in the future. And it also helps us with our reporting back to the Department of Education who do give us money to be able to put these events on. So, um, and the other work that VPC does, um, we do have um, an an amazing group of volunteers. So most of the work is actually powered by volunteers, but we need to pay for things like the Zoom platform and and other sorts of administrative things. So uh, yes, so please, 
please participate <laughs> in the survey. So Deanna, thank you so much. And uh, to all of the parents of year 12, um, year 12 students who are heading into those exams, all the very best. You've got some awesome tips and tricks now um, and a really good guide from Deanna. So we're wishing you and your student child all the very best for the end of the year. Thanks, everyone. Good evening. Bye now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.com edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>